0: The strange but true story featured on this podcast contains details some people may find distressing. Listener discretion is advised. I'm Chaya Samuel and things are about to get weird. Why hello, my friends. Thank you so much for joining me today for episode 39 of Things Are About To Get Weird. If you're a long-time listener, you'll already be well up to speed on this, but just in case you're new here, this podcast is dedicated to everything strange but true. Each episode, I tell you a different bizarre story, the kind of thing that you'd expect to hear if someone asked you, hey, do you want to hear something weird? From true crime and unsolved mysteries to extraordinary life stories and spooky tales too. There's a real mixture of all things strange and I'm so happy you're along with me for the ride. Today's story is one that I actually read about when I first launched the podcast. But until a week or so ago it had completely slipped my mind. That was until our lovely listener Katie reminded me of it over on our Facebook discussion group. So I am going to be telling you the strange story of the Pollock sisters. Like our last episode, this is another case which I urge us all to go into with an open mind. And you'll see why as we go along. A warning just before we begin that there are mentions of the deaths of three children in this episode. I know that this makes it a very sensitive topic, so I just wanted to make you aware up front. So if you're with me, let's head to the northern English county of Northumberland, more specifically to the market town of Hexham. In May of 1957, the Pollock family were living a busy yet happy life together in the historic town, which lies close to Hadrian's Wall. This iconic landmark is a 73-mile or 117-kilometre stone Roman construction that dates back to 122 A.D. The father of the family, John Pollock, was born in Bristol in 1920. But after marrying his wife, Florence, the pair settled up north in Northumberland. And before long, the couple were expecting their first child. Although neither had been raised Catholic, as John grew up in the Church of England and Florence is a member of the Salvation Army, John converted to Catholicism as an adult and Florence joined him after they married. This becomes more relevant later on, so do keep it in mind. The couple ran a milk delivery business, and prior to the mid-1940s had already welcomed four sons into the world. So I can only imagine how hectic their daily schedules were. But in 1946, their family grew once more, as Florence gave birth to their first daughter, a little girl they named Joanna. A few years later, shortly after moving to Hexham, they were joined by a second daughter, Jacqueline, and the Pollocks felt their family unit was now complete. Although their day-to-day life was full-on... By all accounts, they were very happy, and the two little girls in particular were often looked after by their grandmother whilst their parents were busy working. There are reports of the kids spending their days playing games and dress-up, and when the weekends rolled around, the family loved gathering together. And of course, as you'd imagine, given the strength of their faith, attending church on a Sunday was part of the Pollock's regular routine. But, tragically, on the 5th of May 1957, Joanna and Jacqueline's walk to church would end in the most unthinkable way possible. The girls, who were just 11 and 6 at the time, were walking along the pavement with their friend Anthony when a car swerved off the road towards them. It was being driven by a woman named Marjorie Wynne who, it was later found, was under the influence of a mixture of medications, which had left her with the effects of being intoxicated. Marjorie's car crashed straight into the three children, and though help was called for straight away, poor Anthony passed away on the way to hospital, whilst Joanna and Jacqueline were pronounced dead at the scene. It's just so chilling. I truly can't imagine how terrible this time was for the families of both the Pollock sisters and Anthony too. And the details only get more awful, as some sources claim that Marjorie Wynne had actually driven into the three youngsters on purpose after losing custody of her own children whilst some think she had hoped the crash would end her own life also. Marjorie survived and was admitted to a psychiatric hospital. It's all just so horrible and the two grieving families left behind must have been completely distraught. Whilst there's almost no information available about Anthony's family, We do know that during the dark year or so following the girls' deaths, there was a glimmer of light at the end of the tunnel for John and Florence Pollock. The couple discovered that they were expecting another baby. And on the 4th of October 1958, Florence gave birth. But rather than taking home one child, they would end up taking home two. As despite only one heartbeat being heard during their hospital visits, this new baby was actually twins. And in a bittersweet twist of fate, Both of the babies born just over a year on from Joanna and Jacqueline's passings were also girls. Florence and John named their daughters Gillian and Jennifer. And although there was no known history of twins in the family and their arrival was a total surprise to Florence, it turns out that John was less shocked. And this is where this tragic story starts to take a turn into the bizarre. Now, although both John and Florence shared the same faith, their beliefs on certain things did differ at times, and one of the key debates which had previously caused some friction within their relationship was around reincarnation. Although the idea doesn't line up with the teachings of Catholicism, John had been fascinated by the notion of reincarnation since he was a child himself and found himself incredibly drawn in by it. Florence, on the other hand, was completely opposed to the concept as she felt it was so out of line with their other religious beliefs. And it's even reported that the pair argued about the topic of reincarnation so passionately that Florence had even threatened to divorce her husband over their disagreement. As a non-religious person myself, I can't fully understand how this must have felt for the couple to clash so severely on an issue related to their faith. But it must have been very challenging. Now, when Joanna and Jacqueline were killed, John's interest in reincarnation became something he fixated on. In the first instance, he was consumed by the idea that his daughter's deaths had been a punishment from God and that he had received this punishment because of his questionings relating to the idea that a person's soul could live on in a new body. And as time went on and Gillian and Jennifer were born... John became convinced that the twins were, in fact, his first-born daughters reincarnated, Joanna as Gillian and Jacqueline as Jennifer, and he was not alone. In the decades since, the story of the Pollock sisters, all four of them, has been widely cited by believers as one of the most compelling cases of possible reincarnation on record. Countless articles and even books have been written about the sisters, not to mention the significant academic interest shown in their case by doctors from around the world. So what was it about this family that captivated so many who heard their tale? Get ready to be baffled as we dive into some of the extraordinary parallels between Joanna and Jacqueline and their twin sisters. It's likely that one of the first things that caught John's attention about one of his twin daughters in particular happened soon after they were born. Jennifer had two clear birthmarks, which is not unusual in itself, but the placement of the marks certainly was. The first was a dark brown, thumbprint-sized and shaped patch on her left hip and it was identical to one that Jacqueline had had in the very same place. Their mother even confirmed that both Jacqueline and Jennifer's birthmarks behaved in the same way too, with both being slightly pressed in at birth and both showing up more clearly in cold weather. I am sure that some people would say, well, they were sisters and directly related, so is this really so weird? And I do get that. But Jennifer's second birthmark was even more interesting. At the age of three, Jacqueline had taken a fall and hit her head on a bucket, which left her with a small gash over her right eye, not far from the top of her nose. After it healed, it ended up leaving a scar. When the twins were born, John and Florence soon noticed that Jennifer had a birthmark above her own right eye, which was eerily similar to her late older sister's scar. And that's not all. Apparently, when the twins were young, Gillian once pointed directly at Jennifer's forehead birthmark and said, That is the mark Jennifer got when she fell on a bucket. I can only assume that the twins were too young to fully understand the concept of birthmarks when Gillian said that, but the bucket element is what makes it really strange to me. These weren't the only physical similarities between the sisters and the twins. Even though Gillian and Jennifer were identical, as they grew up, more and more differences between them became obvious. And bizarrely, each new difference marked something they had in common with Joanna and Jacqueline. For example, Gillian had splayed feet, just like Joanna, and the two both had very slender frames. Whereas Jennifer had a more stocky build, which again lined up with Jacqueline's appearance. However, their physical traits were just the start when it came to the similarities between the two pairs of sisters. Throughout their childhood, the twins would frequently display behaviour that was incredibly reminiscent of the sisters they had never met. Like Joanna and Jacqueline, Gillian and Jennifer had a strong affinity with their grandmother and would often go to her for things more readily than they'd go to their mother just like their older sisters had done before them. When her life was so tragically cut short, Jacqueline was still in the process of learning how to write, and she would often hold her pencil in her fist with her whole hand grasped around it, rather than in the standard way of lightly gripping it between your fingers and your thumb. When the twins got to the stage where they were starting to write, whilst Gillian was able to hold her pencil quote-unquote correctly from the word go, Jennifer found this incredibly difficult to hold hers in any other way than in her fist, just like Jacqueline, and she struggled with this until she was around seven. Gillian also shared many of the same interests that Joanna had and was very much drawn to things like costumes and acting and performing. And they shared the same bubbly sociable outlook too. Now on this, if someone raised the point that whilst yes, these things are a bit odd, the four sisters were ultimately brought up by the same people. So could it all be down to coincidence? I would totally understand where they were coming from. There is every chance that these aspects of their personalities were more a result of nurture rather than something as far out as believing that the twins were truly their older sisters reincarnated. But, little by little, the number of seriously astonishing incidents involving the twins started to stack up. And each one only further added to their father's certainty that there was some kind of soul connection between his two living daughters and his two that had passed on. And honestly, some of them are nothing short of chilling. There was an occasion where Florence looked in on the twins playing a game, and at the moment she observed them... Gillian was lying down on the floor, and Jennifer was cradling her head. The girls didn't realise their mother was watching them, so there was no element of performance for what happened next. But Florence heard Jillian tell her sister, the blood's coming out of your eyes, that's where the car hit you. I mean, this is pretty creepy in itself, but it's made all the more disturbing by what John revealed about his experience identifying his daughter's bodies after the car crash. He recalls that Jacqueline's head had been bandaged just above her eyes. And I'm so sorry to get into gory territory for a moment, but if that was the case, it's likely that any blood from a head wound would have run down her face and could have looked like it was coming from her eyes. Oh, it really is horrible. Although not every example is so dark, the details kept getting more specific. There was a day when the twins were around three years old, when their parents decided it was time to introduce some of their late sisters' toys to them. The toys had been stored in the attic ever since the sisters were killed, and the strength it must have taken for the parents to bring them out is impossible for me to imagine. I'm sure it was a very surreal experience, but it was about to take a turn for the stranger." When they presented the toys to the twins, which included dolls and the accompanying accessories for them, with no hesitation, no arguments and no debates... Jillian reached for all of the toys which had belonged to Joanna, and Jennifer claimed all of the toys that had been Jacqueline's. They even spoke about the dolls and other items as though they remembered receiving them the first time round, saying that they had come from Father Christmas, despite the fact it wasn't Christmas time. Originally, however, the toys had been Christmas presents for Joanna and Jacqueline, If I'd have been in the parents' shoes on this day, I honestly don't think I could have held it together. And I completely understand how this must have strengthened John's beliefs and possibly challenged Florence's, especially as episodes like these kept on happening. When the twins were around four and a half, they saw their father painting in the house, wearing the white smock coats their mother used to wear whilst delivering milk. Florence had actually stopped working for the family business after Joanna and Jacqueline passed away. And so the twins had never seen her wearing the garment and it had been stored away for years. Now, on this day, when they spotted their dad painting, Jennifer asked him, "'Why are you wearing mummy's coat?' When she also expressed this question to Gillian, her twin sister didn't seem to know what she meant, and this made Jennifer angry. John asked Jennifer how she knew the coat belonged to her mum, and she replied that she remembered Florence wearing it to her job delivering milk. But here's the thing. Whilst Jacqueline, the younger of the two, had often been around during the day whilst their mum would have been working and wearing the coat, During the years Florence worked for the family business, Joanna had been at school and so wouldn't have had the same memories. John, believing in this reincarnation, felt that this would explain why Jennifer remembered the coat belonging to their mum so clearly, whilst Gillian couldn't recall it. I hope you're still with me, I know there are so many names in this story, but this would all make sense considering that John believed Joanna's soul lived on in Gillian and Jacqueline's in Jennifer. Then we arrive at some of the things that were shared between both of the twins, most significantly their phobia of cars. John spoke out about a particular time when a car's engine started up in an alleyway and the twins had an intense reaction to the noise. They instantly grabbed one another and cried out that the car was coming for them. And it seems that this was a response based in pure, genuine terror, rather than them being dramatic or playing around. The girls would also take extreme care whilst crossing any road, and they'd grip their mother's hand incredibly tightly whenever they had to cross to the opposite pavement. Then there was what happened back in Hexham. When the twins were around nine months old, the family had actually moved away from the area. And honestly, who could blame them? I know that for me, I don't think I could stay in a town where something so terrible and traumatic had happened to my family. So this decision seems perfectly reasonable. But when the twins turned four, the family decided to visit the area again for the first time with their youngest daughters. And as soon as they arrived, something unexpected happened. Both Gillian and Jennifer seemed to already instinctively know where they were. At one point, they turned onto a street which had a park at the other end, but it wasn't yet visible from where they were walking. The twins begged their parents to let them go, "...across the street to the park." somehow sensing that they were right by it, despite the fact they'd never been there before. They started leading their family towards the park, completely sure that they knew the directions, and they were totally correct. Speaking about the incident, John said that he was walking the twins up the hill towards St. Mary's Church. One turned to the other and said, the school is up here where we used to go to, and the playground is round the back. At the time, not only would they have been too small to see the school from where they were, but there was also a large wall obscuring their view. Now, before I get to the various theories, which span both sides of the debate around reincarnation, I wanted to touch on the twins' later lives too. Now, apparently, their dad never even uttered the word reincarnation to the twins until they were at least 13 years old. So there's no way that they were simply trying to make their parents happy by playing along with this idea that could have given them some comfort. In fact, by the time they were in their 20s, they told researchers that they had no memories at all of their supposed past lives. But in 1981, Gillian began to experience some weird moments she described as inner visions. She could see herself, possibly through Joanna's eyes, playing in a sandpit with her brothers. And when she described in detail the house, gardens and orchards in her vision, they matched exactly with the house the family lived in before moving to Hexham. It was a house that she had never been to in a town called Wickham that she had never even visited. So now that I've thrown all of that out there, let's get into the theories. It's worth saying right off the bat that there are just as many sceptics about this story as there are believers, and I do understand why. But nonetheless, academics including Professor of Psychiatry from the University of Virginia's School of Medicine, Dr Ian Stevenson, were very keen to study the twins. He found the birthmark angle particularly intriguing, As of the 895 cases of suspected reincarnation that he had explored over his career, 35% of them involved some mention of birthmarks or congenital disorders. He first studied the twins when they were around four, and kept in touch with the family for many years afterwards, too. He even found their case fascinating enough to include it in his book reincarnation and biology, a contribution to the etiology of birthmarks and birth defects. However, others have been quick to highlight the alternative explanations to reincarnation, which could be at play in the Pollock sisters' story. The writer Ian Wilson noted that the only witnesses to many of these strange incidents seem to be the parents, John and Florence. And as John was a believer in reincarnation, as well as a grieving father, is it possible that he was just seeing what he wanted to see? On this point, I would argue that Florence felt as passionately against the idea of reincarnation as her husband felt towards it. And she was also a grieving parent so I kind of feel that that neutralises this point a little. Other sceptics, like the writer Richard Rockley, have suggested that because the Pollock family's terrible loss was so well known, there's every chance that their family, friends and even their sons could have spoken about the various details in Earshot of the Twins, which they then picked up on. This also extends to discussions about their fear of cars, for example, Is there every chance that the parents were extra protective of their daughters around cars and roads, and unwittingly projected this fear onto Gillian and Jennifer? It's absolutely possible, and even likely, considering what they went through. One other theory surrounds the idea of maternal impression which is a widely discredited concept, but still. It's the notion that the emotions of a woman could have an impact on her fetus when pregnant and imprint themselves on her unborn child. I can see why this might have been floated in the Pollock sisters' case, but given that it's not viewed as a credible idea in the medical world, I'm not sure on this one. So, everything considered, what do I make of this story? Personally, I do understand many of the more sceptical approaches, and I think that at least a handful of the coincidences could definitely be explained by more rational means. In particular, things like the twins' fear of cars or talk of the crash itself. However, as I both believe in and have had experiences with Ghosts, I feel like the notion of reincarnation is only one step on from this, so I have to admit that I do find many of the details of this case compelling. Jennifer's birthmarks are very strange to me. And the twins' personality traits and hobbies and even their preferred toys lining up perfectly with the same sister each time is so bizarre. Their visit back to Hexham is also really striking to me. It's so odd that they seem to intuitively know their way around a place they'd not been to since they were babies. As a general rule, I do believe that children are far more open to and in tune with the spiritual realm or the other side or whatever you prefer to call it. You often hear accounts of children having ghost or spirit encounters almost more often than you hear about adults having them. This would also match up with the fact that as the twins got older, their memories of their apparent past lives seemed to fade, only popping up again for Gillian once she was older. I would say that a much larger part of me does believe that the twins had some spiritual soul link with their late sisters than doesn't believe it. In fact, I feel quite sure that there was something there. Whether it was reincarnation in the most formal definition of it, I don't know, but I think there was some connection there. I was so happy to read that Gillian and Jennifer went on to lead normal lives and that their experiences as youngsters didn't seem to have any negative impacts on them later in life and I really hope that their parents and brothers were able to heal from the horrendous trauma they suffered. And provided it was all dealt with in an emotionally healthy manner, I do hope that John and Florence were able to take some solace in the possibility that Joanna and Jacqueline's spirits lived on in their twins. If not in the most literal sense, then at least in the memories the family were hopefully able to share with one another in honour of the girls. Well, what an emotional roller coaster of a story. I cannot wait to hear your views on this episode's topic. I think there might be a bit of a mixed bag of reactions so please do send me your thoughts in all of the usual ways. Just one last thing to mention in this story. In some articles the details around exactly which twin experienced what do sometimes tend to differ but I think that's more of a case of the writers possibly getting a bit confused as there are so many names involved in this story. When it came to double checking the details for my research I used Use the source which was most directly linked to the key study done on the twins by Dr. Ian Stevenson. I just wanted to make that clear because I'm always obsessed with being as accurate as possible. So hopefully in the end I got everything spot on. Anyway, before we get to our usual episode wrap up, you know what time it is. Here's our regular outro feature, the segment of the show I like to call Weird Media. So by now, you all know I love a good TV series. And the one I wanted to recommend to you all in Weird Media today was one of my favourites of last year. And that series is Severance. It's another one that I watched on Apple TV. There are some absolute gems on there, and this is one of them. It's one of those shows that's tricky to put in a genre box in a way. It's part dystopian, part sci-fi, part psychological thriller. And there's a whole load of mystery running through the whole thing too. I guess there's also a bit of a workplace drama element to it too. It really does have a bit of everything. I was initially drawn in because the lead character is played by Adam Scott, who you may know as Ben from Parks and Rec but even though there are some lighter moments in the show, it's much more serious than the roles I've seen him in in the past. But the whole cast is amazing. From the bigger names like Christopher Walken and Patricia Arquette to the lesser-known actors, everyone puts in incredible performances and it's absolutely captivating. I don't like to give too much away, but the basic storyline is, in the world the show's set in, there's a procedure you can choose to have done called severance, which means that your work memories are totally separate to your life memories. So the minute you enter this chamber in your place of work, which is a company called Lumen Industries in this case, your brain switches to work mode and that's all you know. The concept is so brilliant because it's one of those things where the more you think about the implications of it, the more messed up it becomes. For example, you could have an entire family on the outside world that your work self knows nothing about. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. It's fascinating how all of this is explored in the show. There's only one series out at the moment, but a second season has been commissioned, so I'm sure it's on its way sometime soon. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what happens next. By the way, I also said I'd update you on whether I still recommend the other Apple TV series I've been loving after I finished all the episodes, and that was Silo. I can wholeheartedly say that I stand by my endorsement of it. Silo is definitely one of the best things I've seen in ages, so definitely add that one to your watch list too. Right, just a few quick shout-outs for the sources which helped me in my research for our story today. There was a piece from The Mirror by Evie Townend that was published in September 2022. There was a really detailed piece on the Society for Psychical Research's website. That's the one that referenced lots of Dr. Stevenson's works, so it was incredibly helpful. There was a write-up on mamamia.com that was by Jessica Kingston from back in June 2020. And finally, there was an article on thevintagenews.com by a writer called Charlotte Bond from January 2022. As I say, please do feel free to get in touch and tell me what you thought about today's case. On Instagram, our handle is at thingsgetweirdpodcast and on Twitter, it's at about to get weird. I haven't made a threads page yet, but if anyone is keen for me to do so, just let me know. On Facebook, you can find both the main podcast page and also the private discussion group too. Just search for Things Are About To Get Weird on there and they should both appear. If you fancy popping me an email, the address is thingsgetweirdpodcast at gmail.com. And our Patreon page is always linked in the show notes if you'd like to support the podcast that way. Our merch page is also linked down there too. A big, big thank you to everyone who supports the podcast via Patreon or the merch. It really does help me to keep producing our episodes. And of course, a huge thank you for listening today. It means the world to me. And if you've enjoyed the episode, a quick star rating on Spotify or a written review on Apple Podcasts is always sincerely appreciated. Thanks again to Katie for reminding me to cover this story. I love receiving your messages with story requests, so never hesitate to pop them over to me. Until next time, take care of yourself and others and keep it weird the good kind of weird.